0: Welcome back to The GL Review. I'm Nathan Graber-Liberman, editor-in-chief and creator of Unplugged, our flagship website on sports culture and lifestyle. Also CEO of Powder Blue Media, our startup media company out of Northwestern's The Garage. And today, I'm bringing you an awesome interview with the one and only Ashton Keys. Ashton, I met, uh, he came to speak to us at The Garage about a month ago earlier in the quarter as a recent Michigan State graduate back in December. He graduated with a degree in experience architecture alongside entrepreneurship and innovation. During his time in school, he spent a lot of time at The Hatch, Michigan State's space for student entrepreneurs. Ashton created his very own startup fashion label 96, which has seen him travel to fashion shows across the world across the pond i guess i should say um fashion shows such as art basil in miami and paris fashion week last summer again i met ashton because he was asked to come speak at the garage he gave us his whole story then kind of went over it uh, a little bit more in detail on this podcast also asked him some other questions because like me he screen printed t-shirts in high school uh he was he was created his own business in that regard he he Had some funny nuggets to share about that, and then progressing into becoming a legitimate streetwear label. I also just think his story is super interesting because 96 is something he's been passionate on for so, so long, yet he's now in kind of the real world where he's working a fellowship and then doing 96 on the side. It's almost as if he has two jobs, and I feel like that's where a lot of entrepreneurs start, going to have an awesome conversation with the... CEO Spikeball coming at you in like 2 or 3 weeks. But he had a very similar story where Spikeball is just this thing he was working on on the side on the side and finally one day he quit his corporate job and decided I'm going to go for it. And I feel like that's kind of the leap of faith that we see a lot of entrepreneurs take in this world. I'm excited to see where Ashton's leap of faith if it may come where it takes him. So yeah, it was an awesome interview right up my alley in terms of streetwear intersection of a lot of these things um before we get into it though i gotta mention of course that we're brought to you by unplugged again our website the powder blue media umbrella you know it's of this big huge company obviously but um power blue media bring you unplugged our website on sports pop culture and lifestyle we had a ton of awesome oscars coverage this past weekend uh reviews on minding the gap uh Roma, Kareem Nirani had a great long-form piece about that. Um, Just recently, I wrote about the alternate timeline in which J. Cole's dunk goes in. Uh, Just joking, because as you may remember at All-Star Weekend during the dunk contest, J. Cole tried to dunk it and barely missed. And we know he can in 2012 in the Celebrity All-Star Game. He threw down a lob from Kevin Hart, I want to say. But I just wrote a completely silly article, long form, hypothesizing all the different realities that occur if J. Cole's dunk goes in. That was a really fun read. Highly suggest it. We also just published this morning. I'm recording right now on Wednesday, February 27th. We published a uh, roundtable with the Unplugged staff. Who in the world is LeBron James calling out in the media? He's been very vague on purpose. So is he actually calling out the young players in the Lakers? Or is he calling out SoundCloud rappers? Or is he calling out the high school uh, where his son Bronny might be going? Or, sorry, middle school, Crossroads. Or is he even calling out Barack Obama? I'll, I'll let you read that one. <laughs> um, and yeah, other than that, huge thing dropping Friday morning. I'll leave you to it to hear about it. I'm super excited for it. A lot of work and time has gone into that. And yeah, the podcast network. We're also brought to you by the Powder Blue Podcast Network. What's up? A Star is Born and Disgust. Jack Leto brings on Joey Saffchick. Beautiful honey podcast. You really just love to see it. But yeah, they talked about Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. The Oscars, the legacy of Star is Born, and the other Oscar movies as a whole. Avril Sergar and Chris Burton brought you Season 1, Episode 5 of Bet. Their podcast on gambling. They bet on baby names and the Steelers, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, where they're going, that's always a fun one Um, as always too if you like what you see from us and want to see more, consider donating to us on Patreon you can access our Patreon account at patreon.com slash unpluggedwithngl, that's U-N-P-L-U G-G-D-W-I-T-H N-G-L, also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, at unplugged, that's U-N-P-L-U, G-G underscore D. And to follow me, as always, you can follow me at bynategl, B-Y-N-A-T-E-G-L on Twitter. Now, let's get right into that interview. Yeah, so just to start off, I mean, I remember from your story when you talked to us at the garage, but you started screen printing shirts in high school, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, initially started uh, screen printing in high school, and um, it was really just, from a passion project. Like I said, you know, growing up in Michigan in the Detroit area, I uh, really didn't have access to that many cool clothing stores and more so for thirty minutes and, you know, our bus system, transportation is not, you know, like any other city, so it's really horrible. So I really couldn't get, you know, the clothes that I wanted. So I really just made it a thing of mine to just start making it. It's actually cheaper to order and get the stuff shipped to me. And then you know, making myself, then I try to go through the hassle of trying to figure out how to catch five buses or six buses. So I started to make my own clothes myself, and you know, started to wear it. it really, start off as me like just creating things that I wanted to wear. Hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. See, I think we talked about it a little bit when you were back here in the garage. But I actually had my own t-shirt business back when I was in high school. Um, doing heat transfer, vinyl cutting, and screen printing. And it's kind of funny because, like, whenever I go home and then I bring clothes back to school and whatnot, uh, I kind of, like, look at my wardrobe and I realize, wait a minute, like, half the stuff I wear on a daily basis is stuff I made. (laughs) But, no, it's certainly cheap, right? I mean, just ordering stuff wholesale and then doing it yourself. Yes. Yeah.
1: It was, you know, sometimes it's just things that you may see or you may like and it's like, well I like it how it is but some things that may change or something that you could do better. I find that with myself a lot. But I may see a product and I'm like, Yeah, it's dope, but if it was like this material or if this was like this and I end up, you know, coming up with a whole different concept and then, you know, changing it up. So a lot of times that is where I start with me seeing something I like. Maybe it could be like a material or even just the color, and then I just turned
0: into the whole product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you you love doing this in high school. Uh, seems like you made a decent amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was actually, and that was the
1: best thing about it, was that, um, you know, I never missed school. You know, I made money in school. So. Uh, every opportunity to go to school and make money (laughs) I I went to school so I wasn't the kid that missed school I was very and a lot of uh, you know high schoolers now people that are you know under me if you make if you can entrepreneurship sometimes has a way to benefit academically in ways that you don't think about because I I was always good at school because I was always there and same Mm -hmm. thing with college you know I was always uh, in my classes and things like that because I, I had such a tight schedule that I didn't have the opportunity to really slack off because I was doing so much. So, yeah, it was it was good. It was a good opportunity, and I got a, had a lot of shoes and could
0: eat what I wanted. So that was fun. Here's the thing, though, which is funny um, because I, I definitely agree from my experiences that it was. Uh, It was always fun to, you know, like, I know at my high school, we had like a dodgeball tournament and everyone always wanted t-shirts. So I would always be like around to make the shirts and whatnot, but it's kind of funny looking back on it because like, I found that high schoolers were so irresponsible (laughs) and it'd be like two weeks before I'm like, okay, so you want these shirts, right? And they'd be like, absolutely. I'm like, okay, so are you going to pay for them? And then it was just ghost town, but um, no, no, it was definitely... Uh, great experience for me, and from what you've said, it sounds like it was the same for you. Um, so you get to Michigan State, um, you, but you didn't start off by you kind of stopped working on your t-shirts and fashion, right? And what was it that you decided? What was your major coming into MSU? Yeah, so uh, I was a mechanical engineer. Uh,
1: like I said, at the talk at the garage. I went to a technical high school, so I went to a technical high school, and um, basically I was being trained to be an engineer from the time I stepped foot. I uh, picked a major, and it was manufacturing technology. So I did robotics, I did machine drafting, and um, you know, during that time, which my parents specifically picked that school, um, I was you know kind of molded into being a great engineer. And that's kind of what I thought I was supposed to be. You know, you're growing up and you have so many people telling you, like, you know, be an engineer, which is, you know, especially from Michigan, it's a great paying field. Um, right up my back door, I have GM, GF I have all these big, you know, automotive companies. So it only made sense. So I decided, you know, I wanted to focus on that. And um, that was going to be my career coming into college. And uh, when I got to college, it was one of those things that was like, yeah, it's just not a passion, you know. And mm-hmm. it's just hard to do something if you're not passionate. And you know, you know, I started out taking, you know, the ECR uh, classes and things like that. And I just didn't. It wasn't. I didn't feel it. And when college, I think, it showed me. when you have a little more freedom to adventure. Um, you get involved in a lot of things, and I actually found the hatch by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met a guy, he was like, it was an entrepreneurship association, which they had, and I knew I had a business in high school, so I just wanted to check it out, and then they had the event actually at the incubator, so at the time, I didn't even know what the ad was or what the incubator was, but I just went to the entrepreneurship event, and then when I went to the event, I met so many people that had so many different companies, and it kind of just reignited that, that fire within me to want to, you know, get back and start my business. And that's kind of how it happened where it was like, I was, I was around a lot of entrepreneurs and things like that. And then, like I said, the story where, um, I ended up getting an order on my website that I forgot I had put up. And that was like the, the tipping pot where it's like, I had a website up, and I didn't market it or anything like that. And then I randomly got an email and they saw that some people wanted some stuff on my site. So I was like, yeah, I should go back and get back into it. And, um, I went to the Hatch and they became a formal member and they, you know, gave me funds and resources to actually
0: reinvent and restart my fashion company. And that's, instead of getting an internship, that's my first time in college, that's what I spent myself doing, is starting my business. hmm Yeah, so, I mean, like, you've been to the garage now, you've seen, like, kind of that space and the people that are there. I'm assuming the Hatch is, like, pretty similar in that regard, but... I mean, I generally think that there's this entrepreneurship culture that's sweeping across America, especially at the college level where a lot of these spaces are popping up at colleges. Uh, to someone who's like never really stepped foot in a hatch or a garage, how would you describe kind of that entrepreneurship culture and these like physical spaces themselves?
1: Yeah, I would describe it as a place of young like-minded individuals that come to work on their business. I think one of the benefits of the spaces is the fact that sometimes entrepreneurship is a lonely type of thing. Mm-hmm. But these spaces um, encourages communication, encourages the exchange of ideas. And sometimes, like you might not even think about something. Like you might be sitting there, you're right, working on an idea, and you're like, it's easy to just walk over and talk to somebody that's working on something and say, like, yeah, I'm I'm working on this. What's your thought? But I think these spaces, like, I would describe it as a, like a, a co-working space for young, like-minded entrepreneurs. And I think the value of that is that to be around talented people is amazing because um, the energy is always on the charts and to be able to talk to somebody that is, you know, maybe doing something that's way far from what you're doing, um, it's still inspiring and it keeps you going. Because doing things alone or doing things up by yourself can sometimes be very challenging. So even if they're not necessarily helping on your company, just being around other people that are like yourself gives you that, that next drive or that energy to continue to go. And also the access to resources, I'm pretty sure the black. So comes Resources and mentorship and things
0: like that. Because sometimes if you don't know where to go, help you get over that. Hmm. So you're obviously a pretty techy guy. You did switch, end up switching to experience architecture, but you were working in the hatch on this fashion label, this fashion startup. Did you ever get yeah, any like kind of looks like what? Like how, why? Why? Why is this a startup? Why is this? Because. I've always found, like, this yeah. whole idea of, like, entrepreneurship, people just immediately think, oh, it's all tech bros, so I tell them, like, yep. oh, yeah, I'm working on a media company, they just give me, like, what?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, a lot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially, and I think that's the thing about incubators in the beginning, like, um, they're kind of Right now it's very sexy to have a tech startup. Mm-hmm. So a lot of incubators, one of the things, I will say one of the challenges that you have is as a product-based company, a lot of resources were tailored towards tech companies. So um, in the beginning that was a little challenging. Some uh, of the things just doesn't resonate because uh, they, as far as like thinking about prototyping for example. Prototyping a product, my timeline is different than someone that has a textile. It, it just takes time to make a sample. You know, it just takes more time to make a sample for a product. And the cost of making a sample for a product is exponentially different than the cost of just building a website and, trying, and mm-hmm. testing it there, trying it out, things like that. So uh, sometimes, and me just drawing it up doesn't have the same experience as actually a product. So sometimes uh, resources were uh, different, And a lot of times, you know, people, they didn't understand it at first, but I think the more I grew, and the more I I allow people to understand how tech is involved in everything, Mm -hmm. and the growth of my company is depending on how we actually implement technology. How often we iterate our product, how often, our website is key, we're a direct-to-consumer brand, how we look at our product, how we look at our users, are. Utilizing our product and iterating, and even like our app, we actually are working on the app and mm-hmm. how we're involved in the app in the process. So, um, we're a product based fashion company, but technology is very at the core of how we're going to grow, and it's very at the core of everything that we do as a direct to consumer company. So, when people you were learn to understand that part, it wasn't as bad. But in the beginning, you know, I didn't know that much. So, I was just like, yeah, like fashion. And I really didn't know how the tech was involved. So I think that actually helped in a long run,
0: because I really think about my company from a tech perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll get into 96 a little bit more in a second, but I am curious. So you graduated with the degree in experience architecture in December, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, So and you're currently working at OPS Solutions in Michigan, and you're working on augmented reality, right? Yes. Yeah. So, is you're still working on ninety six, right? But is is your job at OPS your main job, and then ninety six on the side, or is it one way or the other? Or what's what's your uh, workflow right now? What's your work schedule? It's like honestly,
1: I I would is I work on both of them honestly. Uh, so right now I'm in a fellowship program which is called uh Hacker Fellows, mm-hmm. and how that works is uh, you get placed for a startup at a startup for a year. And um, it, gives, it allows, you know, you have research and things like that. So through an uh, venture capitalist firm called Investing Trade Ventures. they have a portfolio company that they invest in and then they funnel startup, I mean tech talent from the Hacker Fellows program to work at startups. And um, so I'm working at OBS Solutions through Hacker Fellows, through Investing Trade Ventures. And um, through the fellowship, I have, a, you know, allocation to a lot of resources and ventures and just different people that I felt like would help me. And, you know, as a startup founder, I wanted to have an opportunity to work for a company or a startup company to see how it works. So I went for one as an intern, and um I learned so much that I implemented back to my company. So, Acropos asked me if I wanted be open to coming back, and I told them I will come back. And um, it's a one-year program, so I have a one-year commitment to OPS Solutions. And, um, yeah, so, Working there, and I'm working on my company, so it could you could say it's part time with 96, but honestly, it's not because the amount of hours that I'm implementing in 96 so is almost equal to the amount of hours I'm implementing on OPS Solutions, and they kind of work hand in hand because the reason I got the job at OPS Solutions as an AR system designer is because the application that I'm working on. Uh, with 96 had AR implement. So I got mm-hmm. involved and started to learn about AR. But so wanted to have a digital uh, shopping room or something like that through our app. So we started to work on that. And then
0: that got me the opportunity to work at LPS Solutions. So it was all in the time twenty somehow. hmm Yeah, so just looking at 96, uh, would you describe it as, I, I kind of like just from looking on your Instagram and from what you've said, would you describe it as a fashion label or a streetwear label specifically, or what would you describe it as?
1: I would say, I I don't honestly. When you think about fashion now, mm-hmm. it's no description. It's no boundaries. now. Yeah. Because like streetwear is luxury. hmm You know, when
0: you
1: think about it, like.
0: Yeah. If if you know anything about streetwear or fashion, Virgil Abloh with mm-hmm. streetwear designer which, which off-white and pirate yep. business with streetwear is the creative director of
1: Louis so yeah. right now fashion really has no boundary um, you can describe it as streetwear uh, the way fashion is there's really no boundary mm-hmm. um, from the perspective of design I guess people would urban wear streetwear um, it's not you know high fashion high fashion and that was purposely uh, one of the things I do want is, one of my issues with fashion is, it's, it's just very hard to access mm-hmm. things. I um, always like Supreme and things like that, but I just never like to go into the hassle of trying to eat the card and get the box and things like that. So when I you know, created my brand, I never wanted to make it like that. So it was accessible, uh, streetwear, and open availability. I would never do a limited run. I, and I'll always try to
0: make sure my products are available in mass abundance. hmm So what you're saying is you wouldn't want to pay two thousand dollars for a cotton Supreme box
1: hoodie? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all.
0: Yeah. No. Um. As someone who I gotta say, like, I I can't claim to be <laughs> very fashionistic, if that's a term. But um, now going back, where so I've like always been a huge sneakerhead for years and it's been kind of interesting watching that culture uh, dabble, you know, at the intersection with high fashion. And yeah, it's, I was going to bring up Virgil Abloh too, because you saw him get hired by Louie just recently. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm part of that as I feel like the, the inspirations from the fact that like the nineties are so nostalgic right now and that they're so influential in this whole culture. And the whole point of '96, it was you said, was it was inspired by the year 1996, due to guys like Tupac, Biggie, Jay Z. Uh, is there anything else that like you would say about the year '96 that really inspired it? Yeah, um, like it's funny
1: if you look at like my work, even like when I was younger, even high school. Like I just loved like Starter, like Starter was a brand mm-hmm. that I loved. I loved Champion yeah. in the beginning, but now it's like, Champion is becoming like very modern now, so mm-hmm. I don't wear that much. Like, I really just really enjoy 90s fashion, like, guess Tommy Hilfiger, like, Vince's Nike, uh, Windbreakers, mm-hmm. and Vince's Reebok Windbreakers. Like, I really just, I like, ni- like, 90s fashion. If you watched, the R Star weekend, like, mm-hmm. I was banning out, like, it, I don't know if you watched it, but, if you saw
0: Jacob's yeah. performance, that Charlotte, uh, the Charlotte Hornets, uh-huh. the jacket that the starter, yeah, wore, fire. <laughs>
1: know, like, I like stuff like that. Like that's, that's and That's really dope, and it's timeless. And that's one of the things that when I wanted to create a brand, when you think about brand name I wanted to make sure that it was something that was really like timeless. And I think '96 or the '90s in general embodies like a timeless era. Mm-hmm. And I think the '90s in general they're still prevalent to this day outside of, you know, hip-hop, outside of uh, fashion, you think about sports. Uh, like, a lot of the athletes in the 90s are still, like, people are still talking about my story, still talking about this was the beginning of the careers of Adam Harrison, beginning of the careers of Coach Bryant.
0: So, like, the 90s was really the epicenter of the culture that we are embodying today. Mm-hmm. And I think uh,
1: that is what I want for my brand. I want to really embody Culture, and that's one of the slogans. Is defining culture. That's one of the things that we put on our billboard. Is that we want to define culture. We want to create something that's timeless. That twenty years down the line, people can look at it and be like, "That's still fire." You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want my brand to be a sad brand. Like, is really uh, trying to stay on trend and create products that's in the I want to create something that's very authentic. That yeah, twenty years down the line, someone sees it and it performs during All Star Weekend, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's still fire."
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's especially funny that not only bring up starter, but that you brought up champion because like 10 years ago or so, I remember like I'd be shopping for clothes wherever and and my dad would come too, and he was like looking to pick up some things and he'd be like, oh, I'm going to get this champion hoodie. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. That's like a classic dad sweatshirt or whatever. But now champion has just become huge. And I mean like I was in Wicker Park in Chicago, which has all these like uh you know like ups- there's an upscale adidas store and urban outfitters, and they had a champion store right next to all of them with like a a shy sign with the the c the champion c and it's just funny how it's kind of become like this new hype beast brand and like i don't know you you see hoodie champion hoodies go for like seventy five dollars it's like mind boggling to me, but no yeah, I like
1: they used to be so cheap champion yeah hoodies used
0: to be cheap. yeah. But, I mean, I completely agree. I think maybe I've just been influenced by the mainstream in saying this, but I think they're dope. But <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, you, this, you, you create 96 uh, at – this was your sophomore year at MSU? Uh, freshman. So freshman remember year? remember freshman year, so going into my sophomore year, yeah. Okay. Um, and, yeah, so you, you gained some buzz. Uh, at what point – which came first, going to Art Basel or uh, – uh, opening your store? Uh,
1: our Basel first. So um, I spent the summer developing my brand um, and uh, after I spent that summer I got my first account. So I got my first store to carry my brand during that summer which is awesome. And I got my first like um, magazine coverage and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, the biggest or the that uh, I got accepted or found out about the fashion incubator, and I think why that's really, really important is because one of the things that I did lack like was knowledge of production or knowledge of how clothes are made. You know, it's simple to screen print. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that you learn on the internet, but it's something you can't learn how to stitch or sew or materials or fabrics. And I think the the, the best opportunity the opportunity to meet a guy named John Lewis, who was over a Project I investments who invested in fashion companies. He had about, about 20, 30 years of investment, and had the opportunity to get mentored and actually travel to New York as well to meet his team at, in his office, you know, all through the connection of, called The Runway, so it was a fashion incubator in Lansing. So I was a part of that for about six to nine months, actually, um, my sophomore year. So my entire sophomore year, as after developing, starting to you know, get a little cash flow, I joined the Runway uh, Fashion Incubator. And um, that's when I built my first collection, which is my first and sew collection of for the scale product. And that was, you know, during that time. And then after I built that collection, um, I had the opportunity to do art about um, Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I leveraged that to open the store. Uh, I leveraged the opportunity to Say, uh, reach out and, um, I had the opportunity to open my store, which is in a suburb of uh, Michigan at 12 oaks
0: mall in by Mich- Michigan. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite memory and what was your least favorite memory of operating, working at the store?
1: Favorite memory? I think the best thing about it was, like, um, I don't think you understand how many people, like, comes like, walks through the mall. So I think the to me, it was very exciting uh, to meet so many people, and um, I mean, nobody Michigan is not like a very, you know, it's not, it's a suburb of Detroit, so it's not Detroit. But, like I met so many people from so many different places, mm-hmm. in so many different like uh, cultures. You know, I met somebody, I actually ended up meeting some people from Paris fashion, from Paris, and I ended up meeting back up with them when I was in Paris fashion which was surprising, like people from Paris just walking through no Michigan. You know, I met people from all across the United States, met a lot of people, you know, from different parts of Michigan, so I think that was the most exciting, just share my story and have the opportunity to talk about my brand consistently from 800 to people from all across the world. You know, that's very exciting. And, you know, to continuously build the brand identity uh, the least favorite was that it is a store does not close, it's not like a job, you know, a job is at, you know, five, six o'clock and you have weekends. But uh, that doesn't happen when it's your store. You have to open it up and you have to close it, you know. And that's a 12-hour thing, you know, the store opens at 9 and closes at 9, but you have to be here before 9 because you have to clean up, you have to, you know? Mer- merchandise and set up things like that. Make sure the back is ready for you know, switching out products, things like that. Then you also have to sleep when you close to be ready for the morning. So it's a very um, consuming experience, but it's not It's not like you think because it's something that you're passionate about, but it, it is tiring. You know, when I got home, I went straight to sleep. It wasn't like I mm-hmm. went out, it wasn't like I spent my time going out afterward and
0: mm-hmm. partying
1: all night. 4 o'clock and then sleeping for 3
0: hours and open a store uh, not at all so It was a very you know it was a very time-consuming process mm-hmm. yeah so I mean we've touched on it a little bit but what? how would you describe just going to Paris Fashion Week and being around all those major brands
1: oh uh, it was it was, a, it was an amazing experience honestly um, it's hard to even put in words I mean it's Paris, like, I have a for me, it was surreal, you know, because, you know, as someone that's interested in passing, you know, that's always the dream. That's like the grail, you know, so to get there and to, it's all about the people. I think that's the, for me, that's all. I, I'm really interested in meeting amazing and great people, and I think that was my, what I liked the most is I learned that the world is a small place. I think that's the biggest thing I can say. Because when I got over there, you know, that work and talked to people, especially people that are local, they literally love hip hop. You know, they're talking about hip hop or mm-hmm. some about the same songs and things like that. Like models and stuff like that. And I realized that like, you know, fashion has no, you know, it, it, it's timeless and culture it extends far beyond. I think that was the biggest thing. And obviously, it was amazing to see the brands and um, see the newest fashions and things like that and learn, obviously, how to confuse to grow your brand and things like that. But the biggest thing I took away was that the world is small. And my brand, it could be anywhere. You know, and I think that was the biggest takeaway, that the people really liked it. They really loved it. And I still talk to so many people that I met over there and they still support, they
0: still love the brand, so, um, my brand can be an international brand, I was the biggest takeaway from that. Mm hmm Yeah, um, I wanted to touch on that a little bit, but before that, I mean, you come back from Paris Fashion Week, you come back to Michigan State, and you, you started a fashion week at Michigan State, right, and that took up a lot of time, and that was a lot of hard work, but, uh, what'd you get out of that whole process?
1: Man, um yeah there's a lot of time a lot of work but I think like I said I think the biggest thing was that um, I was happy that I allowed other designers to have opportunities to showcase themselves you know we launched uh, three, three, three brands brands during my fashion week at Michigan State we had opportunity to fly two uh, designers one of them who actually did a collab with Patrick Ewing on the Ewing Athletics he had his own
0: mm-hmm. Ewing Athletics that's pretty cool. Another,
1: and we had another who had his own brand. He was a he was an engineer and a fashion designer at the same time, which was really dope. He did fashion weeks in uh, Africa and was featured in Shanghai. So uh, that we had two great designers as well that used to talk about fashion because Michigan State doesn't have a, a fashion community. So well, I think the biggest thing was creating a community of creators that we didn't have. So allow. People to be into fashion and people like myself who, you know, when I was a freshman, you know, I kind of didn't have that opportunity to launch my brand. I didn't have the platform to launch my brand, create that platform. Um, The the lesson, though, is that fashion shows are hard and it's a lot of people. Um, When you think about fashion shows, you're managing over 500 people you're managing the designers, you're managing the models, and you're managing the crew. So you have to think about hair, you think about makeup, you think about like, you think crap, you think setup, you think about ticketing, security, staging, um, seats, grass, uh, like even the tech guy, the IT person. It. Um, so it was just a lot of moving parts. So I think it prepared me to be a founder or CEO um, it was just me. I founded it and I funded it myself. And I went and went out and got you know sponsors. Everything I did everything, and I you know found my team and grew the team. So it taught me how to be a manager, a project manager. It Taught me how to be a leader, and it taught me how to see a product, which is the fashion show, from thought process, idea to actually an implementation. Uh, but it's—I would not recommend one managing five hundred because even if you have a team under you, the thing is, if it's your—if you're the head, you know everyone yeah. comes to you mm-hmm. for small problems, for big problems. So you have to have an answer all the time. So it taught me how to be able to have that answer, but also delegate time wisely because you—you you know, one of the biggest things of being—you know—over a big project like that is. It's just certain, sometimes it's just certain things that you can't, what you spend time doing. And you have to learn how to delegate past other people and be that person to manage
0: other people so everyone is effective in their position. hmm Yeah. So, I mean, you said it yourself, going to Paris Fashion Week made you realize that this is something that, why not, why can't it go international? Uh, You're currently selling products on your website, such as uh, the Windbreaker you were rocking when you came to the garage. Um, You have over 2,000 followers on Instagram, and you're clearly still very passionate about about working on it. So, I gotta ask, what's next for 96?
1: Yeah, um, right now, we're just uh, continuously working on new products, launching products. Um, Right now, store, so... Like I said, go out to the store, uh, but I want to, you know, have a, you know, a better boutique um, option. So the plan is for next year to actually open up the boutique and continuously grow our product base. So the thing about it, even with uh, pairs and uh, things like that is we debut so many different products, and but the pro- the hard part about a fashion company is if you're not and I was just actually talking about this earlier, you don't have the infrastructure of like a Louis Vuitton or Shadell. So Mm -hmm. launching products, it's hard to launch 20 or 30 products because the production aspect is very, it's it's challenging. So we're, the process that I'm in right now is to continuously build new products and develop the infrastructure to launch. Like I have the cut and spell bomber that had the fur on the collar have um, meadow zippers and things like that. So continuously to build the infrastructure to launch products that are cut and sell. And um, I think that's where I'm at right now with the, with that aspect. I'm still working on the technical aspect. Well, I got a couple pro- projects going on with the app and things like that, the AR. And also we have a couple projects for the store. So we we'll think about how we can implement technology in the store as well. So next year, boutique, we're developing. We're launching uh, a Bob a puffer jacket as well, puffer coat. So I just actually got this up for a 3M a puffer coat. Um, we have denim. Have a lot of stuff in the works, so it's continuously building on new products while launching products that we still have and pushing those products. And the main thing with brand identity, brand awareness. So starting to work with more influencers and things like that to build the brand up, so we can launch more products at a higher scale.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's about all I got on my end. I think what you're doing is awesome. Uh, it's cool seeing it kind of at this forefront of this '90s movement, this nostalgia really influencing the culture. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything I didn't talk about that you want to mention?
1: Yeah, I think you. I think you pretty much you know cover you cover everything. And like I said, thank you again for the opportunity. Um, anybody they can follow me on Instagram or follow me on Twitter's at the 96th, uh, T-H-E-N-I-N-E-T-Y, the number six, and um, join the movement. Uh, we're still growing, and um, we're always putting out new product and putting out content, and um, we're excited for the future. There's always new products, so. I'm excited for what's coming the next couple months and years.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, he's Ashton Keys. As he said, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at The96. Thanks so much for talking, Ashton. Thank you again. Take care.